0: Just real quick, uh, by way of of introduction of our series again, Uh, we just started last week. I know probably 15 of you or so were out last week uh, at camp. Thank you guys and ladies for serving in that capacity. That was awesome. Um, And we started our our new series on Joseph, the life of Joseph, last week. So I'll have a little bit of quick review for those of you who weren't here to catch you up. Um, And then one other thing I saw, just a a small handful of our new seniors (laughs) We've got a couple here and there, so thank you. Yeah. We'll, we'll clap louder next week. Uh, try not to embarrass you or anything, but thanks for coming. We're, we're happy to have you. Um, so yeah, if you are familiar with our setup, we always have study sheets at the tables. Grab those as you come in, grab a pen, whatever, and uh, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, the first little bit of review, the things that we saw about Joseph last, last week, was that Joseph is an incredible picture of Jesus Christ, right? There are a lot of parallels from the physical life of Joseph. The things that he uh, experienced, the things that he went through, are the the same things that Christ went through. They're they're pictures uh, in the Old Testament, actual history that actually happened to a man that were basically prophecy and pictures of of the man, Jesus Christ, that was yet to come uh, when this stuff was happening. And so the, some of the pictures that we saw was that uh, Christ was hated for some things, or Joseph was hated for some things, and it's kind of the same things that, that Christ was hated for when he was here. Um, and the first thing was his intolerance for sin. Right? When Jacob was told to go to Bethel, he demanded that his whole family get rid of their idols. Right? He wasn't going to tolerate sin in his camp anymore. He wasn't going to tolerate those type of things. So Joseph, just like Jesus inherited this hatred for sin from his father, right? he was going to deal with it. It's not going to be okay. It's not going to be in our family. This is not how we're going to do things. So he got that from his dad. Christ got his, you know, from God the Father. Um, And there's a really cool passage. I can't, I didn't write it down in my notes, but uh, when, I think it was in Genesis 34, 35, in that range somewhere, when Jacob is saying, you know, get rid of the idols. We're, gonna, we're not taking those into the city where we're going. We're going to, to commune and live with the Lord. That stuff can't be there. You know what they did with them? They buried them at the foot of a tree. And, and you and I, we, when we come to Christ, we bury our sins and our idols, and anything that we want to put in front of God, we bury it at the foot of the tree, don't we? Amen. We put it at the foot of the cross, and, and we leave it there. And, and that's an awesome, beautiful picture. So just like that, you know, He has no tolerance for sin. He has no tolerance for anything, you know, that we put in front of God. Uh, The second thing that Joseph was hated for was for his father's love, right? And we saw last week that Christ says that he and his father are one in the Gospels, and, and as soon as he says that in Matthew, the Jews are picking up stones ready to throw them at him, right? They're ready to kill him because he's claiming to be one with God, a claim that only he could make. And, um, you know, Joseph was the favorite of his father and hated by his own brothers. And we'll see tonight, they, you know, they, they schemed up a plan to, to kill him to begin with. Um, and he was hated for his dreams and, and the words that he spoke. All right, so this was, we saw that he had a dream, he had a second dream. They were very similar. We saw that God confirms things when, you know, there's, there's a vision and a second vision that's very similar to that. We see that in the Old Testament a lot. God is repeating himself because he's serious about what, what's going to take place. And he wants, wants us and those who are, you know, the, the uh, hearers of the message to understand that God's behind it. All right. And so Joseph was, was hated because he communicated these dreams from God. And Christ was hated because he communicated the words from God. Right. This was prophecy. This was directly from the Lord and they hated him for it. Another thing that we saw in the, the second bullet point there is that Joseph witnessed God's power when, first of all, when, when he altered his father's walk. Remember when Jacob wrestled with, with God one night, and he comes, he comes away from that, it says that, that he just hung on, and he hung on, and he hung on until he was blessed, right? And we said, man, if you want, you want to be blessed by God, you've got, you got to hang on to him with all you've got right you just got to go to him and and just demand that blessing right and but what happened was Jacob came away different Jacob came away a broken man a different man he he walked differently after after tangling with the Lord right and and the second thing that God changed was Jacob's name right Joseph's father's name is what, the way it is in your notes he changed his father's name we saw Jacob means supplanter or deceiver, right? That's not a name you really want to have. And God changed his name to Israel, a prince of God. All right, and so that was an awesome transition when, you know, you're not going to be a deceiver anymore because I've changed you, right? This interaction with God changed him forever. And then we looked lastly at what made Joseph a man of integrity, and the first thing was seeing integrity in God. Right? God kept his promises to, or to Joseph's father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. Right? God's integrity was on display in the way that he dealt with Jacob. Right? He made a promise to Jacob's father, Isaac. He made that same promise to Jacob, and he's, and he's holding to those promises. Um, and he saw that in, in when, when God told Jacob to go back home, Jacob knew he was gonna have to face his brother who wanted to kill him because he was a deceiver, right? And he went anyway because God said go and God protected him and his whole family and and, and all of the extended riches and everything that that Jacob had, God took care of it. God keeps his promises. God is a God of integrity. So that's one way that, that Joseph got that integrity himself. And then the second thing that we saw was it was his God, not just the God of his father, Right? Joseph had a personal relationship with God. It wasn't just you know, that my dad has a God and, and you know, I just do what my dad tells me to do because he has a relationship with God. No, it was, it was his own relationship. And we said, look, this is, this is the time in your lives, this is the time to make your relationship with God yours. You don't live through your parents' decisions anymore. It's, it's time to start making your own. And you, from this point on, are answering directly, for the things that you do in response to God. And obviously, you know, you've been doing that for a while. But now, for sure, is the time to own that relationship. All right. So that, those were the main things that we saw. And tonight, we're going to... We, we saw the integrity of Joseph. We're going to continue to see that as we go through this series. Uh, we're going to see terrible things happen. One after another after another. And, and Joseph just holds to that high moral character. right? And, and tonight, we're going to see the opposite. His brother's lack of moral character, their lack of integrity, and, and honestly, it's, it's all about pride with those guys. And the crazy thing is, is, they saw the same things Joseph saw. They just didn't take ownership of the relationship. And in your notes, I have a, a couple of different definitions here. Integrity or character, like a high moral character, is it's who you are when no one is looking. And it's what you're willing to stand for when someone is looking. Right? It's who you are when nobody sees what you're up to. That's integrity. What do you do? Do you do what you say you do? Do you do, you do what you say you believe? And do you do that when people are looking and you might be embarrassed by what you say you believe? Right? It's, it's who you are striving to be and, and what you can be trusted with. It's consistency between actions and inner convictions over time. It's proving you are who you say you are, right? Somebody of low character is, is changing all of the time. It just, just depends on who's looking. And if nobody's looking, I'm, I'm just going to get away with it. Right? Zach shared his testimony last night. What an awesome, awesome testimony it was. He, 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 can, he admitted Man, I used to come here, one guy, just to put on a show, and I would go home and I was the real me, right? Until God got a hold of Zach, and, and we're hoping he's the same Zach everywhere. I believe that's the case, right? Integrity over time, that's, that's how you prove who you are. It's the same over and over and over. It's the same whatever scenario you're in. It's the same whatever people you're around. And that was Joseph. It didn't matter what was going on. He was still Joseph, The son of Jacob who served his own God, right? Who served God because he had a personal relationship with him. And then pride, I just looked up a dictionary definition here. It says the inordinate self-esteem. An unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, intellect, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt of others. A lot of big words basically just means you think you're better than you are, right? You think you're a little higher than you actually are, and by default, you think others are less, and you don't listen to, to advice, and you don't take, you know, God's word seriously, and, and honestly, you know, you just think you're okay. So there's three major lessons that we're gonna see tonight, and we're going to read in Genesis chapter 37, so if you want to turn there, we'll be there in just a second. There's three major lessons that are honestly just the ugly outcome of pride. All right, This is, this is what Joseph's brothers suffered from, and we're going to see that in their lives. And so the ton- tonight's title, the, the title of the message is The Poison of Pride. Right, it, it is going to poison you. It will poison your relationships it will poison your ability to communicate with God. It, it, it will mess you up. And the worst part about it, you will have no idea it's happening until it's happened. Right? Pride is a sneaky, nasty enemy. All right, so let's go ahead and we're going to start in verse 9. Genesis chapter 37. You guys go ahead and follow along as I read. Uh, verse 9 says, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, or Hebron, I don't know how to say that, Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And certain men found him, and and behold, he was wandering in the field. And a man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed thence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him in some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we, sh- we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it and de- delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Let's go ahead and pray before we continue on. Lord, uh, as always, we are, we're humbled that you even chose to communicate with us in the first place. Um, you love us. We don't deserve it, uh, but we sure do enjoy it. And uh, we want to hear from you tonight. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would remove me out of the way, that I wouldn't be a distraction. I pray that your word would go forth, that would touch our hearts, uh, that our hearts would be uh, pliable, that our hearts would be ready to receive it. And uh, Lord, I, right now, I just want to say, whatever you show me, whatever you show us, Lord, we want to uh, do it. We want to do it because we know this is what's best for us, um, and, and what's best for us from you always glorifies you, and that's, that's most important. Lord, I pray that uh, tonight is, is glorifying to your name, and uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the first thing, I said there was three things, three major things that we see from this specific passage that pride causes. And the first thing that it causes is it causes you to despise the word and those who share and obey it. Right? We see this in, in Joseph's brothers. Pride causes you to despise the word, word of God, and those who share and obey it. We saw that in verse 11. It says, His brethren envied him. Excuse me. Envy is a nice way of saying what they said three times before this. We saw this last week. There, there's three different occasions where it says his brethren hated him and hated him yet the more, and hated him yet the more. Right? They hate their brother. Uh, Genesis 37, verses 18 through 20, it says, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Right? They want to kill him. And verse 20, says, come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. This, this is all because of their pride. And we see this in uh, Luke chapter 18. There's a, a parable that Jesus is sharing. He says, in verse 9, he says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You catch that phrase? He's talking to people who trust in themselves that they were righteous. Now, we've been around the Bible a little bit. We understand there's nothing in, of us, in, in and of ourselves that makes us righteous, right? It's only the blood of Christ. It's only the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross that gives us any chance at righteousness. So these guys are prideful approaching Christ wanting to establish their own righteousness. And he says, they despised others. These are prideful people. And the story goes in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That's an interesting phrase also. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Can you imagine praying to God? I'm so, I'm so glad that I'm not as bad as any of these other guys, God. I mean, the arrogance of the statements this guy's making. I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This lowly sinner crying out for mercy is the one who receives it. And what we end up doing in pride is we think we're better than those people. We think we're be- you think you're better than anybody. We we become what God calls a respecter of persons, and He hates that. Romans chapter two, verses one through eleven says, "Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things." Right? If you're gonna We've seen this, Matthew chapter 7, right? If you're going to judge somebody else, where do you start? You start with the mirror. You start with God's word. You look at yourself first before you ever point fingers at anybody else. It says in verse 2, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? You see that? When you think you're better than somebody, you know what's going to end up, the result is you're going to end up hating that God shows mercy to people. What a mess. That's that's frightening, right? Verse five, he says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, anguish, or, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. I and mean, he's just, he's, look, you approach these people in pride thinking you're better than somebody. You're acting like somebody who's got God's wrath coming their way. That's not how a believer should act. And why, why, do, why do prideful people act this way? Because God resists the proud, right? We've seen this over and over. God has respect for humility. If you think about Cain and Abel, right? What, what was, the, it was the first murder recorded in, in human history, right? Cain kills his brother Abel, why? They both bring a sacrifice to God. One of them brings a sacrifice out of his own works that he put together out of the ground. And God says, that's not acceptable, right? I accept this other offering, and of something that I gave to you first. Right? One, one's trying to work his way to righteousness, God says, that's not good enough. One of them offers up a lamb, sacrifice, and God says, that's the one I accept. And it was the pride of the one whose sacrifice was not accepted, and the other one was humble in their sacrifice, and, and he hated his brother because of it. He was prideful. Psalm 102, verse 17 says, he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, Thou wilt not despise. Right? Those who s- struggle with pride cannot handle that God's showing mercy to others. Proverbs three eleven and twelve: My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord; neither be weary of His correction. For whom He whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a father the son in whom He delighteth. Job five seventeen says: Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. So how, you know, God, God if you're a son or daughter of God and, and you do something wrong, he says, I'm going to correct you. And there's two ways to respond to it, right? There's two ways to respond to it every time. You can respond humbly and appreciate that God loves you enough to whoop you when you're wrong. Or you can respond in pride and stiffen your neck. So the second thing that we see in this story that pride causes, pride causes you to dwell in or close to sin and feel no shame. Pride causes you to dwell in or close to sin and feel no shame. Genesis 37, the the chapter we just read from, verse 12 says, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, this place called Shechem, In verse 14, it says, This is Jacob talking to Joseph. He said unto him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, Hebron, and came to Shechem. So Hebron is the place where Abraham first landed. When when Abraham and Lot came to this promised land, and God's telling Abraham, Look to the north, look to the south, the east, and the west, this is all yours. This is the promised land. And, and while that's going on, Lot's farmers and Abe's farmers are fighting because there's just not enough land for us. So Abram tells his nephew Lot, you, you pick, you go to the east, I'll go to the west, you go, you go this way, I'll go that way. Lot goes to Sodom, and Abe goes to this place called Hebron. All right, so this is, this is where he first landed, this is where they're supposed to be, this is where God placed them. Shechem is from a story in Genesis chapter 34. I referenced it last week. and the the sister of Simeon and Levi was raped by a man named Shechem. right And, and these brothers are so furious that this happened, and, and rightfully so, that they go to this city and, and they work out this deal with Shechem and his father so that they can, you know marry each other's daughters and, and, and join forces. And, and the whole time, they're just they're deceiving. Right? They're being like Jacob was his, their father. They're just <laughs> deceiving these people. And they say, look, if you guys, you know, we, we're a nation and, and we, we circumcise our children on the eighth day. This is the, our, our sons. This is the way we do it. So if you guys do that, all the men of your city right now, you know, we'll, we'll join forces. We'll be okay with you. All right, so we pick up in verse 25, and it says, it came to pass on the third day, That they were sore. They just had surgery. And two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came unto the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor, that was the father, and Shechem his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain. Okay, they're they're not done just getting vengeance. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep, their oxen, their asses, that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob, here's Jacob, their father's response, said to Simeon and Levi, ye have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, the Perizzites, I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. So we know God did not appoint these two brothers to go take their own vengeance. Right? <coughs> Jacob, it was his responsibility to deal with this situation. You know, is Jacob at fault for not dealing with it fast? Not, who knows? Who knows those details? But but these brothers were wrong in their actions, and they and then they took slaves of the women and children. God's never been okay with that, right? So these guys sin in this place called Shechem, and that's the exact place they're hanging out. That's why Jacob says, hey, Joseph, I see that your brothers went to Shechem. Go check them out. See if they're up to no good again. See, see what's going on so that, so that I'll know. Come back and report to me what your brothers are up to. It's not that Joseph's just the tattletale, you know, always telling on his brothers because I'm dad's favorite. It has nothing to do with that. His brothers are dwelling where they sinned and feel no shame whatsoever for what they've done. We're just going to hang out where we committed murder, where we looted this city, where we took everything for our own selves, selfishly, and it doesn't bother us one bit. That's what pride does to you. Reminds me of, you know, Lot when when they went their separate ways. Genesis 19.1 says, there came two angels to Sodom in in the evening and Lot sat in the gate. To sit in the gate of a city in the Old Testament means that you're in some position of authority, right? You're you're in government office. You're one of the, the top dogs in the city. You run the place. You run the government, whatever. So Lot is in this place of Sodom, and, and Sodom is, is a wicked and evil place. He's sitting in the gate. He's in this position of authority and pride, right? And, and we see some of the crazy things that, that Lot does to try to justify the things going on all around him. You know, there's, there's wickedness all around. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, The turning of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample or an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So, what happened to to Lot as he's sitting in this position of pride at the gate? You know, just allowing all of this sinful behavior all around him. It says in Second Peter that it vexed his righteous soul. He's in the midst of sin, and he doesn't even know it. He's just hanging out with all these people that that God says are wicked enough that I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And Lot's just hanging out like it's no big thing. Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19 said, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. Better is it to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So, so why does this happen? How, how does pride come and then the fall? Because you'll never see it coming. Because pride says, it'll never happen to me. I'll, I'll never not love the Lord. I'll, I'll never sin like those people sin. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not as bad as that guy. Right, that's what pride does, and it's subtle, and it starts small, and it, and it, and it grows and then it becomes this big, nasty problem, and you don't even realize it until often it's too late. First Timothy chapter three verse six says, "Not a novice. these are qualifications for leadership. Not a novice novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemna- condemnation of the devil. A novice means a beginner, right? Somebody who's inexperienced, unproven. Paul's telling Timothy, don't, don't put a, a brand new guy in a position of leadership." Because when you do that, and he's not proven, he doesn't know how to handle it, and he becomes lifted up with pride, thinks he's better than he actually is, thinks he's the one that actually accomplished what God accomplishes, takes credit for what God is doing, oh, and then he ends up falling, and he's in the condemnation of the devil, right? You have to do that man a favor by making sure that things take a little time, that he's proven out, that, that life happens to him for a little while, we talked about this in dating, right? Let some time happen so that some circumstances can happen so that you can actually see what the individual you're dating is made of. How do they react when life happens? How do they react when God says no? How do they react when God says not yet? Do, do they freak out or, or do they just turn to God, right? Pride causes you know the freak out. Impatience causes the same. So number three, the third thing we see is pride causes you to draw no help from the Word. Pride causes you to draw no help from God's Word. (coughs) Verses 16 and 17 in our passage in in Genesis 37 says, And he he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. This this place, Dothan. The word Dothan means two wells. Right? It, it stands to reason that you know Shechem probably wasn't a great place to hang out to feed the flocks and water their flocks. So they had to go to a place called two wells. So they're probably watering their sheep and, and goats there. Genesis 37:22. We get a little bit more details about some of the wells. Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And then in verse 24, they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So what does God call a well with no water in it? It's a pit, right? John chapter 4, we see the, this is a famous story, the the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Verse 5, it says, He cometh to a city, this is Jesus, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. And he saith to the woman of Samaria, or, uh, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest me a uh, drink of me, which am a, Samaria, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. A well with water, right, is, is to be used to refresh you. Christ, the well with living water, will refresh you eternally. The well that Joseph's brothers were at had no water in it. Isn't that interesting that that they would leave one place to go to the place to be refreshed and there's nothing to refresh them because of their pride. Hosea 5, verses 5 through 7 says, And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. What does it say in verse 5? The pride of Israel testifies. He hath withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt tre- treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children, and now shall a month devour them with their portions. In in your notes, when you come to God's word in pride, so that's the picture here, right? They they went to a well. A well has water. Water is a picture of the word of God. When you come to the word of God and you're approaching God in pride, he responds in certain ways. Right? He doesn't respond well to pride. We've already seen that. When you come to God's word in pride, instead of life-giving water, you're going to find, first of all, you're going to find a trap. And that's what we saw here in Genesis chapter 37, verse 20. This is what his brothers were using this dried up well for. Well, there's no water here. There's nothing to refresh us. Let's, let's throw Joe in there. Let's use it for a trap. The second thing we see in Scripture is that a dried-up well is used for a grave. In Jeremiah 41, there, there's a multitude of bodies that are placed into a dried-up well. It's a pit for burial. And the third thing we see all over Scripture, that a pit is is hell itself. You approach God in pride and you might find a trap. He might just give you what you're looking for. You might find a grave. Right? And you might find hell itself. Because God does not respond kindly to pride. Proverbs 29:23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Lo, he means deception, destruction, and punishment. This is the same thing that will take place during the the Great Tribulation, right? The world's going to be under siege. The only way people will survive is if they find refuge in the wilderness with the Jews or if they succumb to the satanic law of the land, right? They, They go ahead and give in to the pressures of the time, take the mark of the beast and all of that stuff. And, and when you talk about these type of things, you know, sometimes people will respond, well, you know, if, if that happens, if y'all just vanish someday and, and this tribulation thing starts, then, then I'll go ahead and believe, right? I'll, I'll start believing at that point. But right now, I'm just really not that interested. Right, in 2 Thessalonians, it's, it's not on your sheet. 2 verses 9 through 12 says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. He's saying, look, if you're saying right now, I'll wait and see if this tribulation thing starts up, and, and then I'll believe. But for right now, I'm just gonna go ahead and enjoy life and just fulfill my flesh. If it looks like it's actually going to happen, then, then, I'll, then I'll flip the switch, and God says, no, no, it's not going to work like that. You've responded in pride now. I will respond by allowing you to believe a lie later. Right? And it's not like you know, we can say, well, that's not fair. You know, I thought you said before that God was a God that can't lie. Well, it's not him that's lying, is it? It's our lie. It's, it's mankind's lie. He's just going to allow us to believe it. He's just going to allow those individuals to to believe that lie. He's going to stop trying to intervene. He's going to say, "Okay, well, that's what you wanted all along. Now you got it. Run after that lie and, and see how that fulfills you." James chapter four, verse six. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, "God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble." James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one, one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud. He giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. All right, and some, you know... I don't know if you listen to this saying, well, yeah, I'm not. I have my moments of pride. I have my issues, and we all do, but I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. I don't, I don't really struggle with those things, and, but that's what the pride say, too. That's what the proud say. That's what we always say when it's always somebody else. We all have pride. Right, Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three moves that Satan knows you and I will fall for. He knows it's in you. It's in me too. In conclusion, we'll wrap it up here. On your sheet, there's a sentence there. It says, adversity can harden you or it can humble you. You can respond to God in two different ways. And it's going to be one of the two. Standing still is still a response. It can harden you or it can humble you. It all depends on your reaction to it. So the question is, will you have integrity or will you respond in pride? And when you respond in pride, if you respond in pride, you can expect these types of things to be down your road. Things you don't want any part of. Things that come up out of nowhere and you don't even realize it. Earlier we talked about Jacob having his name changed to Israel. Jacob having a a, a physical run in with God that that changed him forever. It makes me think of, of Paul as well. I was looking this up this morning. Paul's very similar, right? Paul was a very proud man. His name was Saul at the time. Saul is a Hebrew name that means desired, right? Everybody wanted to be like Saul. Everybody wanted to know what Saul knew. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? He was, he was the top dog. And he was so zealous for God's righteousness and God's glory that he was killing these, these people that were coming out of nowhere called Christians. Saul was, was a position to be desired, and he, on the road to Damascus, was physically blinded by Jesus Christ so that he could spiritually see, right? That physical encounter that, Paul ha- or that Saul had with Christ changed him much like Jacob, right? He came away different. And we know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul is a, a Greek name, but it's not the Greek name that means desired. It, it means small. It means little. So if if Paul was going to do what God had for Paul to do, he couldn't be desired. If he was going to reach the Gentile world for Christ, he had to do it as as Paul the small, the the little guy, the undesired. He wasn't going to do it from a position or a a pulpit of pride. He was going to do it through humility. He was going to do it serving the Lord whatever God wanted him to do, however God wanted him to do it, whatever the cost. In order for God to use him to reach the Gentile world, the desired had to become small. Pride is the enemy of progress in God's economy. You will not advance to where God wants you to be in your name. It's not going to happen. We'll end with one, verse, one passage here, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 35. It says, And they, he came to Capernaum, this is Christ, with some of his disciples. And being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? As we were walking, walking along, I heard you, you know, arguing with one another. But they held their peace, as though he didn't know, right? For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. God's economy works backwards from what we think is the right way to lead. You lead by serving. You have an opportunity to lead. You do it by lifting others up. You do it by loving others, by putting others first. We're going to see the life of Joseph Joseph's dreams were that Joseph was the top guy. All his brothers were bowing down to him. He was the top guy. Even his dad, who God himself made specific promises to, was going to bow down to Joe. But not. Not until Joseph hit rock bottom. Not until God took Joseph to prison time and again. Not until Joseph was falsely accused. Not until Joseph was in a pit almost murdered by his own brothers, then sold for cash. That's where God took Joseph first. And Joseph, through it all, was a man who hung on to his God tightly, a man of integrity. And that's the men and women we need to be. Because life has adversity, doesn't it? It's going to come our way. But God has incredible plans for us. You can't do it in your name. You can't do it for your name. And you can't take God's credit. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much, again, for your word, for the, the cool pictures, the, the crazy details in just the names and the names of the places and, and the situations that, that Joseph found himself in. I thank you that you're, you're loving enough to us to remind us what pride looks like because when we're in the midst of it, we just don't know. We don't even see it. I pray, Lord, that you help us tonight to be able to see that pride, to be able to, to take it to you and to bury that thing back at the foot of the cross where it belongs. Lord, we love you so much. We, we do want you to be worshipped. I pray that this next song would, would do that, would glorify your name. and I pray that uh, we'd walk out of here humble, looking for opportunities to lift you up. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.